0: Your views, your values. This is WMNF Tampa, 88.5 FM. Here comes the
1: sun. Doo-doo. Here comes the sun. And I said, it's alright. Hello, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today, we are talking with Michael Whitehead about water rights settlements and the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis. Hey, Kenny. And of course, we have Greg working the phones and Mr. Bill Grace working the board. So stay tuned as we promote a balance of people, profit and planet. And before we introduce Michael, Annie, did you have any exciting things happen to you over this past weekend well, or not weekend, the week?
2: Well, uh well, you know, it's uh um I had things that were made uh for Thanksgiving from someone's garden, which was lovely. Uh they made uh the cranberries from uh, cranberry sauce and they they made uh uh, this uh, pumpkin souffle from Seminole Pumpkins, and it was really nice. And and also they used my, uh, I had given them a squash to grow and uh, a miratin, and it's a Chayote type. And they put that in the dressing, and it was it was a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. I also had my tree guy over. He's over today too, um, and they're uh, fixing up the de- taking out the dead wood. Is all, because I'm so protective of those trees. And what have you been doing, Kenny? Because I know you're always busy with cool things.
1: On this past Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, I interviewed Dr. Temple Grandin. She's so cool. She is uh, known for kind of creating these humane livestock handling practices. Mm -hmm. And she's also, so she speaks about animal behavior, but she also speaks about autism. So I was... Very excited to interview her for a Mother Earth News and Friends podcast that's going to come out January 5th. And a lot of the stuff she was saying, I told her, I said, everything you say just seems like common sense. Why Why, why aren't we actually doing these things? Yeah. For instance, she's in Colorado. She's been a professor of animal behavior and animal science for thir- over th- about 31 years now. Mm-hmm. And she was saying they just installed 1,000 acres of solar panels in Colorado. Okay, so me and you are thinking, that's great. Except they installed them two feet above the ground. So they just got... The <laughs> snow
2: is going to cover them
1: Well, up. no, what's even worse oh is gosh. they just got rid of 1,000 acres where cows and sheep could be grazing on oh. to put solar panels in. So she goes, if she was part of this equation, right. because she sees these big pictures, she goes, why don't we make it 12 feet off the ground? And then have cows and sheep graze underneath the solar panels. Right. And then they get a shade, shaded structure. We get solar power. And, you know, we're using more things in the system rather right. than just getting rid of
2: a 1,000 acres. Although you are supposed to alternate uh, grazing areas with uh, those type of animals because of their—they'll uh, just— you know, clear it down yeah. too hard. But still, But you could, yes, you exactly. could do
1: partitions of one to yeah, seven acres to each, and area. then you just
2: yeah. keep moving them. Yeah, I think that's brilliant, and it is so logical. And
1: You're then right. we also talked about um, in a city, we should have solar panels above the parking spaces so yeah. our cars don't get baked by the sun, and then we have, we're have we getting solar power. That makes so much sense. And she says one of the problems she sees is because she has autism, she was talking about people who have autism, and she says they see like the big picture and they can figure out how to fix an uh, elevator and they can fix an escalator and they can look at it. Mechanical. And say, yeah, and yeah. they can say, oh, we should make the solar panels 12 feet high yeah. so we can put a cow underneath there. Mm-hmm. So she said the problem Four was color. with city planners, in her view, that they're not hiring people who have autism because you have to be good at algebra in high school. And she said she can't do algebra because it's too abstract. So in order to get in the room where it happens to talk about oh, city planning and, hey, why don't you make a building where there's a restaurant on the bottom and then people living, you know, in the middle, and then a garden rooftop.
2: With solar panels. Yeah. yeah.
1: So she said, the,
2: That's we're, interesting. we're kind of
1: getting rid of a lot of the workforce. And she says what she sees is there's a lot of people... In their basements playing video games because they weren't taught how to use a measure, have a shop class, have a home ec class, were never told that they were good at something other than linear oh, thinking.
2: That's really an interesting point. And I agree a thousand percent with that. You know, people aren't developing their areas of expertise because some, a teacher didn't uh, step in uh, or their parent didn't step in and, and help them develop that. You know, you can see that in thriving kids when they have good parents and even homeschooled uh, kids. I see them just thriving. So
1: that interview will be out on January 5th at MotherEarthNews.com. How do you
2: you get on that? You go to MotherEarthNews.com? You can just go
1: to the website and listen to it, or you can go wherever podcasts are found and listen to it.
2: Okay. I don't do that too much, so I'm going to have to look for it, but that's great. It's
1: easy. Just like uh, WNF, all of our shows are archived on the website. Uh, You can just go to
2: a, f- a friend of mine uh, actually heard our um, show on a podcast and, and he heard, re- recognized my voice. He went, oh, my God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are Ready. excited because uh, yes. we're going to be talking about the Bureau of Indian Affairs yes. and water sustainability.
2: Yes, Native Americans. Uh, very excited about that. You know, um We want to talk about Michael a little bit. Uh, So Michael Whitehead, he graduated from Patel College of uh, Global Sustainability at USF in 2022. Oh, recently, with a concentration in water. He also earned a Bachelor's of Arts from Suwannee at the University of South in uh, Economics and Philosophy. I'm guessing that's how it really is. University of the South. Um, And he is now working on a federal, as a federal contractor for the Bureau of Indian Affairs underneath the Water and Power Division more specifically working within the branch of water resources. His current projects include a historical analysis of Indian water rights settlements across the country and a five-year technician training program in association with Conservation Legacy. This is really interesting. I'm excited about talking about this. Welcome to the show, Michael.
0: Good morning. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Glad you're here.
0: I know this is uh, my first radio show so it's uh, this is all new I'm excited. All
2: right. And you can play this back and listen to yourself over and over again.
0: <laughs> oh no, yeah. Uh, yes,
2: you can. <laughs> 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 so, first off, let's just find out what is the Bureau of Indian Affairs? Please. All right.
0: Yeah. It, it's um it's it's a unique branch of the government definitely. Um so and it has a long history, so I'm not going to deny that. It's under the Department of the Interior. Um, from the White House. So that's where our budget comes from, is the the White House uh, congressional budget, the um, pre- presidential budget. And then it goes down to um, the Office of Trust Services, where uh, we have all these reserve lands in the United States. And um one of the branches that uh, the United States covers are the trust assets, are reservations, uh, Pueblos, Rancherias, anything that, um, uh, you know, it's on U.S. soil, but it's ran by Native Americans and Alaska Natives. So uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs is under the Department of the Interior, and uh, it kind of trickles down to my branch.
2: So that's wonderful. So it's run by the natives, which is fantastic. So they really know what they need best of, right?
0: Yeah, for the most part. Um, Now I'm a federal contractor, so the the ideal goal is for the Bureau of Indian Affairs to be fully ran by natives, Um, but uh, we are still working on that. There's a, a native preference for all hiring. And um, yeah, that's that's the end goal. And we're working towards it. And there's been a lot of progress um, since, you know, the 70s and 80s.
2: Oh, yeah, a lot. Well, not enough. That's for sure. So <laughs> yeah. uh, where are you currently located? Are you uh, in our Florida area or are you somewhere else?
0: No, ma'am. I'm, uh, I'm over here in California. Oh, nice.
2: So, Love California.
0: Yeah, I... Uh, Moved out west after I graduated in 2022. Uh, A lot of life changes for me, but um, moved out west because that's where the water stuff is. You know, that's where all the issues are really located. The East Coast has an abundance of water and you look at flooding and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so I'm over in California, south of uh, San Francisco, and I'm working fully remote.
2: Oh, that's convenient.
0: So, yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: they're having a lot of problems over there. Um, uh, What, let's see, you know, I really want to ask you something, and it's completely off script, but what the heck. Uh, Are you in a tribe, by the way?
1: Are no, you, ma'am, uh, I'm not okay. I'm not. Well, with your
2: name, I couldn't. I wasn't sure. I have a lot of <laughs> relatives that are uh, Cree, and so, uh, but married into. I don't. I don't have the blood for me. But you know, I. It is so important that uh, you know everybody is getting into uh, being able to have the people uh, that are of uh native american in in the government and so on like is there is a woman uh, that is in the white house that's now a native american i don't know her position do you happen to know her position
0: absolutely that's deb holland um she is the uh well i guess the the acting main secretary the, the head honcho of the department of the interior okay. that's never um native american uh secretary of uh, of the interior which is huge because the department of the interior uh i mean we are the largest land management company if you want to think about it that way in the united states so uh, i forget the numbers but it's uh, pretty significant so to have a native there um with the care for the land uh, it's pretty pretty amazing
2: Yeah, she's the first one uh, that's the native representative as well. So that's just amazing. It's uh, very enlightening that people are starting to open that up and start to think in the direction. I mean, it certainly should have been that way a long time ago, but it wasn't. So at least it's uh, starting to open up a little bit. Um, So I want to talk about the waters. Uh, You know, like the things that we read about are the oil... um, you know, the, the fighting of people wanting to put the, uh, the oil pipes through and transfer it to different areas and how it pollutes the water, because I know that for a fact that it does. So I've had personal experience with that. So can you talk a little bit about that part, uh, if you could?
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, well, so it's tricky with the government, Um, You know, there's a lot of different bureaus and branches and different rules and responsibilities for each of them. Right. Uh So with with when it comes to like oil and pollution and um, certain, yeah, just pollutants in waterways and, and stuff like that, land planning, zoning. Uh, that goes down to the EPA even if it's on reservation land um, huh. and sometimes it goes to the Indian Health Service, which is a separate entity in and of itself. Um, the Indian Health Service deals with water quality issues and my my branch is more focused on water planning uh, for um, you know water infrastructure so and then uh, and that pertains to water rights, Themselves, because you need to know what water rights you have um, in order to build a dam or an irrigation project or distribute that water um, efficiently. So, when it comes to the the pollution side, I'm not we're not so much focused on that. Although we do um, kind of, I guess, help uh, advise. Which way to go if we have concerns coming through to our end? Like if, that if makes you sense.
2: anticipate, yeah, like you anticipate something occurring if this thing happens.
0: Yeah, like there's in Alaska right now. There's they're having a lot of issues um, with water quality stuff at the home level because a lot of the Alaska natives um, and the tribal consortiums they don't have access to clean drinking water because a lot of them are just remote, um, and then oh. they don't have the Ability to have a community-wide water filtration system, and um, so we get money that we're trying to figure out how to distribute uh, to those tribes in remote locations at the home level. So it's it's pretty tricky um, because our branch is the entire United States. It's not just located out here in the West. We're dealing with uh, all of the tribes, a hundred and. Well, sorry, five hundred and oh gosh, I forget five hundred and seventy tribes and um, nineteen pueblos and it's like three hundred so reservations. Wow, it's a lot. It, yeah, yeah, it's a it's it's a lot. But yeah, I hope that answers the the pollution question. Yeah, here. you
2: know, we had a guy on here actually on our show that was talking about. He was from Africa, wasn't he? And he he, um, was uh, starting out with some different water filtering systems. And and there were some home-use filtering systems. And it was really a sand situation. Um, But it was... It was very doable. I wonder, we ought to get you hooked up with him. <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a perfect balance to me. The,
1: it's not a problem, but uh, Michael is a graduate from the from USF, which is where that professor teaches. Right. So but He probably had him as a professor. You might have. Is so, that Dr. Gaber Michael? Yes.
2: Yeah, so
0: oh, you guys have him on? You know, I, ju- uh, I already yeah. connected him. Did I you? With him, the, and, and he's the one that developed the slow slam yes, filtration. Yes, exactly.
2: And yeah. he was was talking about having it for individual uh, household use. And yeah, I'm, right. I am mean, it goes slow, but still it works. So Yeah, we were
0: thinking about having the um, Patel College do a study, um, but we'll, we'll see where the, the funding goes. And yeah. I'm doing a big research project right now on it all. So using that knowledge from the Patel College and it's really helpful. That's
2: great. Every bit, little bit helps. Let's do our little re- reintroduction now um, uh, and then we'll start back up. <clears throat> I'm Annie Ellis, and you're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF, uh, Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Michael Whitehead. We're talking about water rights settlements and the Bureau of Indian Affairs. If you want to be part of the conversation, please give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at WMNF.org.
1: All right. So, Michael, what does your work consist of in regards to doing a historical analysis of Indian water rights settlement. So what kind of uh, resources are you looking into and what is your end goal? Yeah,
0: the <clears throat> the historical water rights settlement database is um, what I call it. And it's something that was, it's, so we have the secretary of Indian water rights office um, at the, the higher level and they do deal with, obviously, Indian water rights. But this historical water rights settlement database that I'm building out, it's its designed to extract each individual point um, <laughs> from each of the settlements. And there's 38 settlements uh, that are fully enacted from... Ah, uh, Congress, meaning they're signed and agreed upon by all the tribes and the u s, and the money has been um, I guess allocated or is going to be allocated. And what we find is that there there's a lot of information out there, but it's not consolidated into one piece. So if we're asked, okay, where does you know, how much money did we spend on this? Section. Well, we can pull up this database, figure out exactly how much how much money we're spending, where it has gone, and et et cetera. And that's a little bit of the the government oversight, the um, Bureau of Indian Affairs' responsibility as the trustee. So, um, and then there's also the section of actual water allocations because we're in the West, right i mean we have very scarce resources groundwater is being pumped to a level that is just so unsustainable it's crazy so we need to figure out well how much water is being allocated in the settlements throughout each watershed and and so when we're asked you know (laughs) how do you efficiently send out this water well we know exactly how much has been sent out for all of these settlements. And it's just a small subsection of the entire U.S., but it's it's significant. It's crucial.
2: Water's crucial.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. um, What else I can say? When were
1: the 38 settlements signed by Congress, were they over a period of, like, 50 years? Were they more recent?
0: Yeah. So, back in... um, well, really, it was in 1908. There was this um, doctrine called the Winter's Doctrine, where the um, it, it's very historical. So, uh, the Winter's Doctrine pretty much says, "Well, when we set up the reservations for Native Americans during our, you know, colonialism and and all that, we inherently reserve the rights for." Uh, water on those reservations and, and and as a trust responsibility for the, the tribal nations. And we've kind of not given them that or mm. the outside states are pumping groundwater. Yeah. Well, groundwater is connected to reservations. And then, well, you know, the surface water... Disappears on the reservations, and so um, litigation occurs. So the the reservation says, "Well, no, hey, that's not fair. You can't just take the water from outside of our um, property lines." Right. And then, so we're gonna we're gonna sue you. Well, this this that's the beginning stages for all of these settlements. Um, uh-huh. The U.S. doesn't really want to go into a lengthy litigation where they have to find out. The depths, the this, the historical analysis. So they would rather just say, okay, here, sorry, here's all your water. Um, here's your right. Here's the, the money that um, is necessary. We'll come to a big agreement in a big negotiation, and then we'll settle on a case. So with that being said, sometimes, like, I forget the earliest one. Um, I probably could pull it up. But it's like, you know, anywhere from the 60s, all the way up to um, the recent ones in the bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, the um, CSKT, the Salish Kootenai tribe and the Blackfeet tribe. And um, yeah, so a lot of movement and it's still going on, but hopefully we can settle all these cases and um, and give them their water.
1: Was there a person doing this analysis before you joined the Bureau? Or, well, are you part of a team or do they just decide that?
2: That was needed. They got, they got a Native American in the White House. So they decided, okay, let's get some jobs going.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that are working on individual negotiations or, or implementation teams um, and there's, there's sections to it. But in the comprehensive way, no, um, there hasn't been work on a, on a large scale like that. I mean, that I know of, um, the government can be tricky with bureaucracy where uh, the sometimes work definitely overlaps. And that's, you know, when they talk about inefficiencies of the government, it, the efficiency is not or the inefficiency is not a necessarily a bad thing, but it's just the overlapping of the work. But in my opinion, and what I've heard from my coworkers and stuff is that there hasn't been a, a comprehensive database um, like the one me and uh, team are working on it's just three of us so and then yeah we'll, we'll be able to have all that the info <laughs> information is is good
1: it is <laughs> so on that note we want to remind listeners that this is the sustainable living show on WMNF Tampa 88.5 Today's guest is Michael Whitehead, and we're talking about water rights, settlements, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663, or send us an email at dj.wmnf.org, and we will read it on air. But first, we'll take a short break and hear a message from Mr. Bill Grace.
0: By golly, isn't listening to the Sustainable Living Show just about the most fun that your ears have ever had? And I know what you're thinking. How can you show your love and support? Well, it's easy. Just go to our website, WMNF.org, and click on the tip jar at the top of the screen. Be sure to direct your donation to S-U-L for Sustainable Living. And let me tell you something special. You may not see them, but when you support Sustainable Living in WMNF Tampa... Angels, bend
2: down to kiss your
0: cheek.
1: (laughs) Very good. So, like uh, Michael, I'm also a USF uh, Global Sustainability uh, graduate. graduate. I majored in food, waste, and sustainability. Food waste. Yep. Food. (laughs) What is my major? It was food, sustainability, and safety. But Michael went the (laughs) water route. Correct, Michael? That's correct. Yeah, I went um, the
0: the concentration Yeah, the water sustainability concentration, and then my sub-concentration, my my certificate, was the food security and uh, sustainability.
1: Very good. So we have a message, and it's from a good listener, David Bryant. He participates every week. He says, hi, Annie and Kenny, thank you for bringing your guest on today. It seems to me that the development of the Phoenix metro area is unprecedented obtainable and it should have been It should have never gotten so big how can phoenix be reined in so michael i know it's not exactly what your expertise is but what do you think about uh urbanization happening in these remote areas that don't have a lot of groundwater or they have large uh, periods of drought
0: oh gosh i mean it's a little scary uh, let's be real here i mean it's um it's a it's ongoing, and if you have control of the water, you have control of a uh, lot of power actually, I just started a book called the water knife um, mm. and that, it's a fictional book, but it's talking about how it's like the uh oh gosh Southern Arizona and Nevada water agency in the future where um you know it's just a lot of corruption and and uh people want to have their gardens and this fancy water using technology. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the point is, um, I don't see how it can continuously expand. I mean, the Colorado River, you know, runs dry every year before it hits the ocean. Um, groundwater is about I've 100 or 200 feet lower uh, than it has been. So what solutions do we have? I, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I I wouldn't be the expert on making those decisions, you know what I mean? It's just it, it's uh it's a little bit concerning. I I I'll keep it vague cuz yes. I don't really know, you know.
2: Do you know remember uh, Idiocracy that movie? Oh and, yeah. Yeah, so they had Brondo was the uh <laughs> sports energy drink that they were feeding all the plants. And then all of a sudden they realize, or the guy from the future or the past realized what they were doing. Yeah. That Uh, reminded me of that. They'll be starting to use Brondo on their plants.
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) David adds, the USA has a long history of violating treaties and agreements with tribal groups. Sure. It's kind of sad and disappointing. It is. And we agree with that. So, Speaking of which, so Michael, after you do the analysis of Indian water rights and you're saying this area should get this much water, this much money, is that the end goal of the project? Or,
0: yeah, that, that's the end goal of this project for now. Um, and then that's just one of uh, a couple of projects that I'm working on, but yeah, so once we get all of the data into one singular system, um, I, I would like to build out kind of a more public-facing um, wow. explanation of, okay, well, look at the Blackfeet tribe. What what were they? What are they? Where? What is their land? And um, how much water do they get? And why? And um, just have that as a template or like kind of a, a story that can be mimicked for all the reservations, all of the uh, settlements. So that way the public can see, okay, well, the money, I mean, this is taxpayer money, right? The taxpayer money is going to these really amazing causes to distribute water in the most equitable way possible from, you know, to, to help out with historical trauma. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just bizarre. You look at these uh, land masses that used to be uh ran by native tribes and they are reduced down to just absolutely nothing especially in the allotment series but so that's kind of the end goal for this project um uh with just making sure all the details are spread out and then they can be easily understood at a public level
1: how did you find this current job? Because I imagine people, when they say like, oh, you could get a degree in global sustainability. I don't know if to the outsiders, it sounds like a foo-foo degree. <laughs> like uh-huh. people are like, well, what are you going to do?
2: What underlines that? Yeah, like okay.
1: what are you going to do with that degree? So it's inspiring that you're able to relocate and find a job with the government. Yeah. So how well, how did you find that?
0: Thanks. Yeah, I know. It's like... Oh, the whole time, not the whole time, but half the time I was getting my degree, I was like, what? You know, you tell people, <laughs> oh, I, I got global sustainability. I'm getting a master's. And they're like, what is that? Like, why? It sounds you know? good
2: on paper, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds good on paper. But um, the reason, um, well, I studied economics and um, in undergrad, so I like the idea that um, the free market and market kind of uh, techniques can make society a little bit more efficient. Um, whether that's competition or through the you know benefits of money when you allocate to goods, <laughs> it sounds like an economist. Um, so with that on top of my global sustainability, I have a really macro view of what kind of the future it should, not should look like, but I would encourage it to go towards because we have limited resources, limited everything. And we need to make sure that we can sustain our population, sustain nature, sustain other things. And um, so when I was looking for work, I kind of had this in mind and I saw this uh, position. It's like a contracting position for the water resources branch and they focus on water management, pre, uh, water management, pre-development, negotiation, attorney fees um, and, you know, federal reserved water rights. And I'm like, well, that sounds amazing because water rights give you a, 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 definitive answer on how much water you can or can't use Mm -hmm. and um, the water planning and pre-development if you don't have good planning you are just you know that's what has happened right we like this uh, Brian he was saying oh well in Phoenix it's it's a disaster I mean he wasn't saying that specifically but (laughs) in some ways it is but that's lack of planning and lack of foresight right Granted, there's a lot of smart people that are planning, but there's a lot of um, non-long-term thinking.
2: Uh, yeah. and that's, When that's people bad. thought about uh, water, uh, they didn't think about it being drained from groundwater. Uh, so the still water that would be above ground, which is on the property, they did not think of that in long-term, I don't believe. And no. so now my question to you is, is that with that we know that the groundwater removal is, you know, taking that away. So how do the rights of the groundwater get protected to not take away the, the uh, still water, the, uh, the water above ground? Is there a level that goes on? I mean, uh, that says, okay, when you get to this point, then this has to be cut back or how does that work? Um,
0: You know, there's, It's actually a new development. Um, All uh, in water policy, water law is um, uh, groundwater rights and groundwater pumping because it's really hard to monitor.
2: I would think so. It would be very difficult to monitor because that's a separate entity, but it's affecting the others. So there's got to be some sort of markers for that, right?
0: Right. And and I'm not really, uh, I don't know a whole lot about the the, the abilities to, to track how much water? I mean, they they do track the amount by acre foot or by uh, certain pumping. So, and there's uh, the the recent passage in California, the Sustainable um, Groundwater Management Act, mm-hmm. and that was pretty much it. Was one of the landmark um, acts, but California was one of the last ones to kind of have a groundwater uh, pumping. Legislation, uh, a lot of other uh, states do, but again, not not too familiar with them. But they're out there, and they, you know, things are laid out. So it's pretty cool. Uh, the, if you read through the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, it's it's um, really detailed.
2: That's great that they're actually uh, thinking ahead like that. I mean, obviously, it's not. It should have been thought of before, right? But at least it's coming up now. <laughs> we, we do have an email
1: that's okay. related to this, okay. and it's from an anonymous uh, person who texted. They said, hey, does Michael consider rain that falls on private property a public or private resource? And this person hopes that we all had a great Thanksgiving.
2: Thank you.
1: So, Michael, maybe... Do you consider it a public or private resource or does the law consider it a mm. public or private resource if water's falling on private property?
0: Water's falling on private property is a public or a private resource. Um, I, I, mean, I, don't, I, I mean, in my opinion, like water falling on private property is, uh, is yours to use. Um, groundwater... Is a little bit trickier because it's a shared resource. But I mean, if it's like capturing rainwater, I know in California they did a I don't know if it was a ban or I read something about it where they can't you're not allowed to capture you only are allowed to capture a certain amount of water. Yes. But it's like if you look at the amount of water that an individual uses, it's about 13%. Uh, for, um, at, you know, washing dishes, doing laundry, cooking, you know, watering your lawn, yeah, 13 to 15%, 10 or maybe another 15% r- around there is industrial use and then the rest is agriculture. So, you know, the, the amount of water that um, is being restricted for the individual, it's yeah. kind of not really fair you can't (laughs) you can't just yeah
2: (laughs) but they were doing it i mean i know it i can't remember if it was new mexico or arizona but if you were watering with your caught water in in like your plants and so on like that you got fined uh that you were not supposed to be catching your rainwater at all because it was supposed to be going in to how they could use it for agriculture so i know that for sure
1: At the top of the show, we were talking about how I just interviewed Temple Grandin, and she said that one way to change people's behavior is instead of like coming down with all of these rules and regulations about like personal water usage, if that information was public knowledge. Like if you knew how much water your neighbor was using, (laughs) that kind of causes people to behave differently to avoid like guilt and shame. So she said like in some countries, like some European countries, you can like look up like how much this house uses and how much this house is using in water. And she says it's completely changed their behavior because they want to be the most sustainable eco minded friended yeah some do.
2: there was a uh, <laughs> there was a uh, when we were going through a really serious drought there for at some different times but we were in a really bad one some years ago i think it's like 15 years ago uh, anyway um one of the houses on Bayshore Boulevard big giant mansion uh they publicly pr- printed how much water they were using in the newspaper uh and they weren't stopping And they just paid the fine. Mm -hmm. It was awful. But it was, that's so funny that you say that because, yeah, you know, I would do that, but not everybody would do that. Public shaming. (laughs) That's funny. I like it. So
1: uh, we thank everybody who's sent us emails and texts. We want to remind you that you are listening to the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Michael Whitehead. We're talking about water rights settlements and the Bureau of Indian Affairs, if you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj.wmnf.org, at and we will read it on air. And, and this week, Annie found an article in the paper.
2: I did, but I also wanted to say that you can also text us uh, if you want to uh, at 813-433-0885. <laughs> So it comes up like an email for us, but, you know, people are texting in their car. Just pull over. <laughs> so, yeah, I saw something in the newspaper, and I don't know if you know anything about it, but you might, and it is in it is uh, Native American related. Uh, and the headline uh, is, Bison Spread as Native American Tribes Reclaim Stewardship. And it's in the Badlands uh, National Park of uh, South Dakota uh, was where they were talking about this. But what they're doing now is they're... Um, uh, raising the bison and giving them to the uh, the Indian reservations. This one is particular is to the Rosebud Indian Reservation. And so they are now uh, having their own bison on their uh, their lands and they're able to, you know, go back to the way they were in that sense of, of having these animals and harvesting these animals and, um, you know, being... Involved in it now because, of, the, of course, the Europeans destroyed the balance. And right. uh, so do you know anything about that? Or I know this um, is completely off base, but.
0: No, no. I mean, the Rosebud um, Reservation. Well, you got in South Dakota, you got Standing Rock. You got, um, what is it? Cheyenne River, Pine Ridge. You got a, a good a significant portion of landmass mass um, from that state that is designated for um, Indian Reservation. And the the Missouri River just slices South Dakota in half. So the only thing I would say with the bison is like, okay, bison are um, herd animals. They graze just like cows do. And in order for them to have access to drinking water, there needs yes. to be rights yeah. <laughs> for for the cattle, and also making sure that the um, the, the the bison themselves are managed sustainably, mm-hmm. rather than just um, haphazardly being expanded, because we could run into more kind of pollution issues. Now, they they do provide a um, a significant source of uh, feed or you know it's for food for well, every, um,
2: actually yeah. everything they yeah, uh, everything. they they use every single bit of the bison they uh, wow. they use the hides for clothing teepees bones for tools and weapons horns for ladles hair for rope and uh, and of course all the meat you know uh, and they're they're teaching even the children how to. I mean, this is kind of harsh for vegetarian next to me, but they're teaching the children how to butcher the animals, which is, in my opinion, great, because now they know where their food comes from, people that eat meat that don't know, you know, what you go through to get to eating meat. Uh, I think it's a a wonderful idea. But, you know, they said that in this, it says 82 tribes across the U.S. have more than 20,000 bison in 65 herds. So they are teaching them. I mean, people that have cattle, you know, they have to know certain things. And so I'm sure they're teaching them, and I'm sure that they're thrilled uh, to be able to manage it in their own tribes, I would think.
0: Yeah, and I think that goes back to the the main um, philosophy of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which is tribal sovereignty. And yes. that's, you know, if American Indians and Alaska Natives can govern themselves and have, I mean, just live amongst themselves and govern themselves with their own system, um, which they had for thousands of years,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Uh, then a push for bison and their own food source is a great thing. Um, so how, if that pertains to water, um, you know, I think that's just up to each individual state to make sure that they are not kind of, uh, roaming over certain lands that I have to, you know, maybe it's other cattle lands, eight yeah. farmers and stuff. Cause that could be an issue. I, I know yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: So we have a call from Nancy and St. Pete. Hey, Nancy. Oh, no, we've lost Nancy. She waited
2: (laughs) long enough until the last second.
1: All right. Michael, she'll probably call back. So uh, we have about 10 minutes left of the show. And uh, do you offer youth training programs or does the Bureau? Yeah, so um, that's another project that I'm on. Um, It's a
0: water resource technician training program um, and it's uh, it's a lot or um, native preference so uh, if you have um, there, there's stipulations of course for being an American Indian or Alaska native but if you do meet that criteria uh, there's a twenty six week training program that um, teaches the fundamentals of um, technician, training work on uh reservation land so anything from uh, how the water flows in a canal to each individual um farm and then distributed on you know uh, uh, or d- uh irrigated properly or dam safety or Oh, gosh, it could be really anything that has to, <laughs> to be with water. So we're just building that out. And it's a 26-week paid internship.
2: Oh, nice.
0: Um, with guidance um, and, and a mentorship. And then we're going to do one week at a university, either Durango um or Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, um, out here in California.
2: So that's wonderful. So you're using uh, you're you're offering that to the Native Americans that are living on the tribe on the reservation, correct?
1: That's correct. Oh that's yes. wonderful. That's yes. Great. So and and it's a, how, how old are the participants? Yeah, so eighteen to
0: um thirty. And um it's ideally for ones who aren't well, they have maybe some aspirations to go uh, to further de- their degree, maybe get a bachelor's or something, but mm-hmm. not that's not our intended focus necessarily. Uh, maybe people who just are looking to get into the career or are excited about water. I mean, to be part of the water industry in 2022 is so crucial. We need mm-hmm. water technicians. We need um, workers. I mean, there's uh, there's a like 40 or 50% vacancy for a lot of irrigation projects and you're dealing with high, high flows of water um, and for big, big, uh, big crops. I mean, like, you know, you got corn and and maize, uh, Yeah, corn and wheat and hops and, you know, big money for agriculture. So you'd be part of something huge um, and it's a, it's a good program.
2: That's great to have them uh, have the opportunity. Uh, Mm I know that a lot of times on the the reservations, there's lack of work, lack of motivation. um, uh, You know, no, not a lot of set goals. So that's wonderful.
1: Can they get a job after the twenty six weeks, or would they need further education or vocational training? Um,
0: I think it just depends. But ideally, we would that they would be offered a position. sometimes they are offered a position for another 6 month period of time kind of another internship and then they'll have a year of experience and then they could have a uh, full time jobs or sometimes the um reservations make up a new position for them and um get them in right away so it's a really great segue into a um excellent career
1: we i had this in the sh- in the notes last week, but I never got to it. But I wanted to say that when Annie was born, there was oh, yeah. 2.5 billion people on the planet. When I was born, there was 5 billion people. That's
2: amazing. And
1: then about a month ago, we, the world human population just reached 8 billion people. Mm. And yeah. Michael, what you were saying about working with water... In 2022, like working with water, to me personally, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't seem it does. that exciting. But when, <laughs> but when you say in 2022, and you have to come up with enough water to feed an extra six billion people right. compared to 60, 70 years ago, yeah. that seems like a Herculean task that a lot of people need to be in on. And do you have any tips for people who are gonna? major in something related to sustainability? Oh, um... Like advice on what to major in or advice on how to get a job? Yeah, for sustainability stuff, I mean, well,
0: follow your passions uh, like, and stick to your gut because I know that I definitely um, second-guess myself with the water stuff or with sustainability stuff. I'm like, well, nobody cares about this, but then, you know, if you just kind of stick to your guns and enjoy what you do uh, people will notice that and they'll want um, you'll they'll want you on board they'll want you at their um, you know organization so uh, don't be afraid to just enjoy what you do and and don't let the, the people that are <laughs> getting you down get you down
2: yeah well that's a good attitude yeah so you just have to, to do the best you can with what you have so um, I'm just hopeful that, you know, this will, as you said, this is some new things that are going on, uh, that you're able to, you know, continue that. And it's now the awareness has come up to people that, you know, water isn't just an endless supply, uh, that we have to uh, be careful with it. And I know, uh, I know people used to uh, instead of using a uh, a rake, they would blow the leaves <laughs> or use the water hose to blow the, to put the leaves off of the their driveway or so on like that. It's amazing how much water is wasted.
1: Yes,
0: yeah, definitely. Pa- I know
2: a past guest that we've had on the
1: show is uh, also T. H. Colhain. Did Michael, did you have him as a professor at USF?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, and
1: do you remember him saying that? we don't really need to worry about running out of water, but we need to worry about running out of drinkable water. Right. The salt
2: is always going to be there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So he, do you remember that? It seemed like he wasn't concerned about water, but of course it's going to be more expensive, more energy Mm -hmm. to clean the water Mm -hmm. as we're getting more and more people. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I,
0: uh it's not well well uh i am afraid of there's not going to be enough water in certain locations to maintain the development um you know so uh, certain communities could run into some serious problems so yeah i mean we're not going to run out of water we can always desalinate or you know something like that but the cost and cost both financially and um you know
1: for the planet
2: energy (laughs) the energy (laughs) that takes that out all right so yeah
1: so michael we just got about three minutes left and uh hopefully you can end us on a positive note are you optimistic (laughs) of the future and we can just get it down to for the bureau of indian affairs do you see these water settlements uh working out in their favor i am very
0: optimistic i mean the water settlements will be great uh when we have all of that information, and then uh, we promote tribal sovereignty. And, you know, same with this water resources technician program. Um, you know, the Bureau of Reclamation is interested in the Indian Health Service. And so there's a lot of potential for a huge uh, increase in the amount of um, people that we train in water resources. And yeah, and that, that expands beyond water resources and could be anything um, technical as well. So
1: uh, really exciting. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, how can people get in touch with you or the.
2: or gather the, information about this, yeah. right? Yeah. Was so, there an email or, or not an email, a, a website or something like that that someone could go directly to? Sure.
0: Yeah. Conservation Legacy is um, the nonprofit that we are working with uh, in a cooperative agreement. It's um, a national nonprofit, which would be a great opportunity uh, to get involved with. They're always looking for great people. Um, so conservationlegacy.com. And then also for me, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if how that works, but you guys can
1: call me with any questions or email me. So very right. good. We'll put your information in the show yeah. notes, which yeah. will be available at WMNF.org.
2: Yeah, and then they can, if they go that effort, then they'll be able to get you. If they don't, then.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, at the, I, I just want to bring it back to the beginning of the show when we were talking about um, Temple Grandin, and she said it's silly that people in her state just put in a 1,000 acres of solar panels yes. that are only two feet tall. I love this And story. we got a text message from somebody, from TED, and they said, check out agrivoltaics. I think you'll okay. find it interesting. It's been around for several years now. And agrivoltaics is the combination of having grazing animals underneath solar panels.
2: Oh. And
1: when um, Temple mentioned that, and she actually mentioned that phrase and that word, she goes, Why would they ever name it that? Because people, we need simple things. Right, with simple words. Simple words so people can get the message. All right, thank
2: Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for being on, Michael.
1: It's been a pleasure.
2: And we appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much, guys. Make sure to tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show. We will have Kelly Hawaii from Lufka Refillables. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living, WMNF, to stay in the loop. Also, to listen to our past shows, just go to listen on demand at WMNF.org. Who are you? <laughs> I am Kenny Coogan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'm Annie Ellis. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye bye. <laughs>